Chapter Forty Eight of The Secret Service by Albert Richardson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Chapter Forty Eight. Fortune is merry, and in this mood will give us anything. Julius Caesar. The night is long that never finds the day. Macbeth among the delectable mountains relieved again from immediate danger everything seemed like a blessed dream i was haunted by the fear of waking to find myself in the old bunk at salisbury with its bare and squalid surroundings we were often compelled to walk and lead our weary animals the rushing creeks were perilous to cross by night the rugged mountains were appalling to our aching limbs and frost-bitten feet. The Union houses, where we obtained food and counsel, were often humble and rude, but we had vanquished the giant despair, and come up from the valley of the shadow of death. To our eyes, each icy stream was the river of life. The frowning cliffs, with their cruel rocks, were the very delectable mountains and every friendly log cabin was the palace called beautiful after our fair guide left us dan's foot was on his native heath familiar with the road he pressed on like a fate without mercy to man or beast after the late heavy rains it was now growing intensely cold a crust not yet hard enough to bear was forming upon the mud and at every step our poor horses sunk to the fetlocks. Even with frequent walking, I found it difficult to keep up the circulation in my own sensitive feet. But the severe admonition of one frostbite had taught me to be very cautious. A young North Carolinian, riding a mule, wore nothing upon his feet except a pair of cotton stockings. That he kept from freezing is one of the unsolved mysteries of human endurance. Passing a few miles north of Greenville, at four o'clock in the morning, we had accomplished twenty-five miles, despite all our weakness and weariness. This brought us to Lick Creek, which proved too much swollen for fording. An old loyalist, living on the bank, assured us that guerrillas were numerous and vigilant. Should we never leave them behind? Ascending the stream for three miles, we crossed upon the only bridge in that whole region. Here, at least, our rear was protected, because, if pursued, we could tear up the planks. Soon after dawn, upon a hillside in the pine woods, we dismounted and huddled around our fires, a weary, hungry, morose, and melancholy company. SEPARATION FROM JUNIUS 25. WEDNESDAY, JANUARY 11 As we drowsed upon the pine leaves, I asked, When shall we join the footmen? After we reached Knoxville, was Dan Ellis's reply. This was a source of uneasiness to Davis and myself, because we had left Junius behind. He was offered a horse when we started at midnight. Supposing, like ourselves, that the parties would reunite in a few hours, and tired of riding without a saddle, he declined, and cast his lot among the footmen. It was the first separation since our capture. 
our fates had been so long cast together that we meant to keep them united until deliverance should come for one or both either through life or death but treadaway was an excellent pilot and the footmen able to take paths through the mountains where no cavalry could follow them would probably have less difficulty than we union women scrutinizing the yankee i found an old man splitting rails down in a wooded ravine two or three hundred yards from our camp while he went to his house a mile distant to bring me food i threw myself on the ground beside his fire and slept like a baby in an hour he returned with a basket containing a great plate of the inevitable bread and pork he was accompanied by his wife and daughter who wanted to look at the yankee coarse-featured and hard-handed they were smoking long pipes but they were not devoid of womanly tenderness and earnestly asked if they could do anything to help us about noon we broke camp and compelled our half-dead horses to move on the road was clearer and safer than we anticipated at the first farm which afforded corn we stopped two or three hours to feed and rest the poor brutes three of us rode forward to a union house and asked for dinner the woman whose husband belonged to the sixteenth loyal tennessee infantry prepared it at once but it was an hour before we finally convinced her that we were not rebels in disguise we passed through russellville soon after dark and two miles beyond made a camp in the deep woods the night was very cold and despite the expostulations of dan ellis who feared they belonged to a union man we gathered and fired huge piles of rails one on either side of us making a bed between them of the soft fragrant twigs of the pine we supped upon burnt corn in the ear by replenishing our great fires once an hour we spent the night comfortably twenty six thursday january twelve at our farmhouse breakfast this morning a sister of lieutenant treadaway was our hostess she gave us an inviting meal in which coffee sugar and butter which had long been only reminiscences to us were the leading constituents by ten we were again upon the road two or three of our armed men kept the advance as scouts but we now journeyed with comparative impunity slide down off that horse some of our young men who had long been hunted by the rebels embraced every possible opportunity of turning the tables no haste weariness or danger could induce them to omit following the track of guerrillas wherever there was a reasonable hope of finding the game on the road to-day one of these footmen met a citizen riding a fine horse what are you southerner or union asked the boy playing with the hammer of his rifle well replied the old tennessean a good deal alarmed i have kept out of the war from the beginning i have not helped either side come come that will never do you don't take me for a fool do you you never could have lived in this country without being either one thing or the other are you union or secession i voted for secession tell the entire truth well sir i do i have two sons in johnson's army i was an original secessionist 
and I am as good a southern man as you can find in the state of Tennessee. All right, my old friend, just slide down off that horse. What do you mean? I mean that you are just the man I have been looking for, and walking about a hundred miles, a good southerner with a good horse. I am a Yankee. We are all Yankees, so slide down and be quick about it. Accompanied by the clicking of the rifle, the injunction was not to be despised. The rider came down, the boy mounted, and galloped up the road, while the old citizen walked slowly homeward, with many a longing, lingering look behind. We traveled twenty-five miles today, and at night made our camp in the pine woods near Friend's Station. FRIENDLY WORDS, BUT HOSTILE EYES As the country was now comparatively safe, Davis and myself went in pursuit of beds. At the first house, two women assured us that they were good Union people, and very sorry they had not a single vacant couch. Their words were unexceptionable, but I could not see the welcome in their eyes. We afterward inquired, and found that they were violent rebels. The next dwelling was a roomy old farmhouse, with pleasant and generous surroundings. In answer to our rap, a white-haired patriarch of seventy came to the door. "'Can you give us supper and lodging to-night, and breakfast in the morning? We will pay you liberally, and be greatly obliged beside.' "'I should be glad to entertain you,' he replied, in tremulous, childish trouble. "'But to-night my daughters are all gone to a frolic. I have no one in the house except my wife.' who, like myself, is old and feeble. Hospitalities of a Loyal Patriarch The lady, impelled by curiosity, now appearing, we repeated the request to her, with all the suavity and persuasiveness at our command, for we were hungry and tired, and the place looked inviting. She dryly gave us the same answer, but began to talk a little. Presently we again inquired, Will you be good enough to accommodate us, or must we look farther? What are you, anyhow? Union men, Yankees, escaped from the Salisbury prison. Why didn't you say so before? Of course I can give you supper. Come in, all of you. The old lady prepared us the most palatable meal we had yet found, and told us the usual stories of the war. For hours, by the log fire, we talked with the aged couple, who had three sons carrying muskets in the Union Army, and who loved the cause with earnest, enthusiastic devotion. We were no longer apprehensive, for they assured us that the rebels had never yet searched their premises. In this respect, they had been singularly fortunate. Theirs was the only one among the hundreds of Union houses we entered, which had not been despoiled by rebel marauders. More than once the Confederates had taken from them grain and hay to the value of hundreds of dollars, but their dwelling had always been respected. 27. Friday, January 13. My poor steed gave signs of approaching disillusion, and I asked the first man I saw by the roadside, Would you like a horse? Certainly, stranger. Very well. Take this one. I handed him the bridle, and he led the animal away with a look of wonder. But it could not have taken him long to comprehend the nature of my generosity. Several other horses in the party had died, 
or were left behind as worthless. Our journey, originally estimated at two hundred miles, had now grown into two hundred and ninety-five by the roads. In view of our devious windings, we deemed three hundred and forty miles a very moderate estimate of the distance we had travelled. Out of the Mouth of Hell At ten o'clock on the morning of this twenty-seventh day came our great deliverance. It was at Strawberry Plains, fifteen miles east of Knoxville. Here, after a final march of seven miles, in which our heavy feet and aching limbs grew wonderfully light and agile, in silence, with bowed heads, with full hearts, and with wet eyes, we saluted the old flag. End of chapter 48 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida